0: It has much, much less visual impact, because wind turbines, in order to create sufficient energy, they need to be built very, like, for the height. They're super tall, they're super big, they're very visible. In our technology, let's say our Gibraltar floaters are only one meter in height. The breakwater's height above the water level is three meters, so the floaters are completely hidden by the wall of the breakwater, so it's no visual impact at all. Plus, all our moving parts, the generators and so on, are located in containers, on land, just like a regular power station.
1: What would you do if you had another chance to live your life? Ina Braverman, the co-founder and CEO of EcoWave Power, decided she was going to do something positive, something different. Ultimately, she and her business partner worked together to develop a system to efficiently harness clean energy from the ocean. One fascinating aspect is that they both brought an outsider's perspective to this innovation. Tune in to hear more about Ina's fascinating personal journey and about her company. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have an amazing guest. She is doing things that I personally have my heart fully vested in, which is the protection of the earth, green energy. Her name is Ina Braverman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Eco Wave Power. Ina, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: All right, right out the gate. For our audience who is not familiar with your company, can you tell us what is EcoWave Power and what does it do?
0: So uh, EcoWave Power developed a unique, innovative and pioneering technology for generation of clean electricity from ocean and sea waves.
1: All right. so. Give us an idea of what makes it so unique, because, you know, one of the things that we know of is a lot of people have attempted or there's some people that have attempted to harness the ocean's energy. The ocean is like it's widely said, like the, the biggest battery, actually, that's right here on planet Earth that we can harness. Other companies have tried to do it. Give us an idea of what's unique about EcoWave power, how you guys are approaching the problem and how you're trying to solve it.
0: First of all, it's very important to say that wave energy is a really, really huge uh, energy potential for the world. According to the World Energy Council, wave energy on its own can produce twice the amount of electricity that the world produces now. Wow. However, uh, historically, it, has been, it was uh, struggling to commercialize because really, most of the developers in the wave energy industry, especially the early developers, have decided to go into the offshore. The offshore means four or five kilometers into the sea. As soon as they went that far into the offshore, they were facing five big problems that really didn't enable the field to commercialize. The first one was the cost of the system. When you're trying to put something in the middle of the ocean and all the expensive equipment is in a floater that is connected to the ocean floor, the prices of the technology become sky high. On top of that, uh, in the offshore, you have waves of 20 meters and even higher. And unfortunately, no man-made stationary equipment can survive the load of a 20-meter wave height. So it caused many high-profile breakages and survival problems for these offshore technologies. Insurance companies saw that it's so expensive and and it's breaking down. They were reluctant about insuring wave energy, offshore wave energy. Environmentalists, who were supposed to be the greatest supporters and proponents of wave energy, were actually objecting it Mm. because it created a new presence on the ocean floor, which disturbed the marine environment. And these companies, they got so focused and preoccupied with trying to take the price down and the reliability up and survivability is that most of them didn't even have the chance to connect to the electrical grid. So there also became a question mark, a big question mark, on whether wave energy can even safely connect to the electrical grid. Yeah. Eco Wave decided on a completely different concept. Like uh, what we did basically, because uh, you asked uh, what's different. So we decided not to go into the offshore, we install on existent man-made structures, such as piers, breakwaters, jetties, and other types of marine man-made structures. So basically, it's very different because the only thing in the water are the floaters, which belong in the water, and all our conversion unit, all the expensive you know, machinery, the hydraulics, the generators, and so on, are on land just like a regular power station. Thereby, we have you know, cost-effective prices, High reliability, when the waves are too high for the system to handle, our floaters automatically rise above the water level and stay in the upward position until the storm passes. We're fully insurable, we're 100% environmentally friendly as we do not connect to the ocean floor, and we've been connected to the grid in Gibraltar since 2016. So just, we took a really, really different path and approach than all the other, uh, you know, previous developers.
1: Yeah, we've had some energy companies on our show talk about how, They described exactly what you just said, which is, okay, so now you've produced the power, but you had to connect it back to the grid. So it makes total sense. If I'm out in the middle of the ocean, getting it back to the grid is virtually impossible. And you add to the fact that energy doesn't have, like electrons don't have a big lifespan. They don't, it's not like they got to be stored somehow in batteries and then transferred. So it becomes unbelievably cost prohibitive. What Ina just described is she's got these things. And I want to describe this because it is a podcast. So if anyone hasn't seen this, they're going to only hear this. The way eco-wave power looks, it looks like it's a bunch of paddle boats connect. That's how I describe it. There's like paddle boats connected up and down, like let's say a pier, And it's got like hydraulics connecting each one so they don't float away. And as the waves are coming by, these paddle boats just keep moving up and down. And, you know, just said that when the waves get too high, it pulls them up to like save itself, (laughs) basically because the ocean waves would otherwise destroy it. And then, as she said, all of the like, The wiring, the piping, connection to the grid, that's happening on land, as she described. Now, you made a good point here. You made the decision to hook up to existing man-made structures, which I think is really smart because then you can take away the, uh, let's say, the resistance to hooking up to like, you know, natural structures. Mm -hmm. And this has been in effect, as you said, in Gibraltar since 2016. Is that right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And now the power station from Gibraltar will be moving in the coming few months to the port of Los Angeles. Actually, the United States will get its 1st EcoWave power technology as well, which we're very excited about.
1: Yeah, no, this is pretty exciting. Uh, so this is like a proven technology. And we also saw in the news you recently, just I think two days ago, announced like a two megawatt facility. Is that right?
0: Yes, in Port Adriano in Spain. And we're very, very excited about the collaboration with Port Adriano. Uh, Port Adriano decided to be you know, in the front of innovation. They're having a project that they're doing or supporting with electrical yachts. And also, you know, for us to be able to connect our floaters and actually charge the yachts or other marine vessels with clean electricity from the waves, I think will be super cool.
1: Oh, this is awesome so this is be starting to take hold give us an idea and explain for our audience how does it work so the, the these little paddle i call them paddle boats you probably have a different name for them they're moving up and down with the ocean they're what are they moving and how is it creating electricity back to the grid
0: mm-hmm. so it's actually pretty simple uh, as far as uh, you know the technology goes it's a simple but smart technology and uh, we connect unique floaters tailor-made floaters for the site of implementation to existent man-made structures, as we said, jetties, piers, breakwaters, platforms, any types of structures. The floaters are going up and down with the movement of the waves, and they're pushing a cylinder, which transmits biodegradable fluid into land-located accumulators. A pressure is being built in the accumulators, the higher the wave, the higher the pressure, which is used to turn the hydromotor, which is coupled with the generator, turning the generator, and sending clean electricity to the grid via an inverter. And the whole technology is controlled by a smart automation system that enables, for example, the storm protection mechanism that enables changes in the ingredients of the system in order to make it more compatible to the marine conditions and so on.
1: Yeah. And so like the way I would, so I always like redescribing things for people that are non-technical since, you know, uh, that's basically myself, Uh, but but it's not really that different from a gasoline generator. A gasoline generator just happens to use gasoline to burn and turn motors to generate electricity. You're saying we're going to use the hydraulic pressure created from these pumping waves.
0: Exactly. And and we're 100% emissions free and environmentally friendly, which I think uh, is the big difference.
1: Oh, it's a big difference. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you come up with this? Because you, uh, you know, you're, you're a little bit different in regards to like some of the other engineers we've had on our shows. Tell your story. How did you come up with the solution? What was your vision for it? How did you develop the passion to solve this problem?
0: Wow, that's actually a long story. So I'm going to start a little bit very far, far uh, it, into the past. And then I'm um, going to run through it uh, not to take all the time. But basically, I live in Israel, but I wasn't born here. I was born in Ukraine, uh, actually on the 11th of April, 1996. And uh, two weeks after I was born, the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded, which was the largest in history nuclear disaster in terms of cost and casualties. And uh, I was one of the babies that got hurt from the negative effects of the explosion. Wow. I actually had a respiratory arrest. I struck, my mom came to the crib. She looked down at me. I was pale and blue and not breathing. And I basically had a clinical death. I, I had no pulse already at that point. And you, you know, she, she kind of was super nervous. She freaked out, she ran to my dad. And she was like, my baby's dead. My baby's dead. Like, What do I do? And he shook her physically and said, like you're a nurse, do something. And then he called the ambulance and she gave me a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which actually saved my life. Mm. So I got a second chance in life. Uh, I don't remember this whole story, of course. I, I but I kept hearing about it in family gatherings, in holidays and so on. Like, wow, remember how she died, remember Ina got a second chance in life. So you grew up with a feeling of a purpose, you know. But not everybody gets a second chance in life. It's pretty rare. So you think, OK, if I got one, I should do something good with it. And then when we were four years old, our family immigrated. My family immigrated from Ukraine to Israel. And we settled in a very small town, which is called the Akko. It's in the north of Israel. The country was so young. It's still a very young country, Israel. And the city was so small to where we immigrated that there was really nothing to do. There wasn't even a cinema in the city, you know, right now it's pretty (laughs) obvious that every city has a cinema, there wasn't even a thing like that. So most of my time as, you know, as a child was spent on the beach. And when growing up, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, being from a small town, you don't get a lot of options and opportunity to really make a change. Like, what can you do? You don't have the money. You don't have the contacts. You don't have like necessarily anything that is necessary to really be able to make the change. So when I grew up, I decided to go study in Haifa University. It's a university in the north of Israel, political science and English language and literature, because I said, I will come out of the university, I will become this great politician and really change the history. Like you can make a lot of good if you're you know a good politician, the innocence of a 20-year-old. <laughs> so I finished university, and uh, I was surprised to find out that there was no lineup of politicians that are waiting to hire a political science major. <laughs> like the prime minister didn't know. And I needed to go to look for a job. And the first job that I found, like in a popular Israeli, you know, job search website uh, was as English Hebrew translator for a renewable energy company. And there I kind of found out about the whole, you know, kind of renewable energy sector, about solar, about wind, about wave. But whereas solar and wind were already fully like commercialized at, at that time, you know, there was nothing to really renew in terms of the technology. There was nothing that can be invented that wasn't really invented at that point wave energy was something that all the scientists all the engineers in the world were saying like it's an immense source it can provide twice the amount of electricity that the world produces now yet no matter how much money was invested and how much like efforts were invested by the largest companies in the world no nobody was able to commercialize wave energy so again i was an immigrant no money no contacts nothing i said okay i have nothing that you need to have in order to have a successful business, but I want to do it. And I started really researching a lot uh, day and night and seeing like where other companies, what did they do wrong? Like, why did they break down? Why did they fail? Like, like what happened there? And I really found out that the main problems are the five problems that I presented to you in the beginning uh, of our discussion. Yeah. So I thought about an idea that can kind of solve these problems, but I'm not an engineer. So I couldn't make the idea into reality. And again, money I didn't have, so I couldn't even register a patent for my idea, which wasn't like uh, the best beginning of a business. <laughs> so I kind of put the idea aside as unrealistic. And then uh, one day I went uh, to a social event and uh, a guy came and sat next to me, he looked a bit like a hippie you not know, torn jeans and a lot of like bracelets on his hand, you know, the strings, bracelets. And uh, he sat next to me and he just said like, what's your passion? It turned out that this guy that sat next to me and asked this, he was a serial entrepreneur that did a number of successful exits in the past and invested a lot in real estate around the world. One of his investments was a surf hotel in Panama. So he was sitting there at a completely different side of the world, because is not an Israeli citizen even, and he was seeing the power of the waves in this surf hotel, and he thought to himself, there must be something better that you can do with the power of the waves than marine sports. And when we met, you know, nobody really knew a lot about wave energy back then. It was 2011, 2010 when we met. So, and I told him that my passion is wave energy. and This was exactly something that he was working on and thinking about. It was like a match made in business heaven. And he ended up investing the first $1 million. And that was the beginning of EcoWave Power.
1: That is awesome. We've heard it time and time again on the show that some of the best ideas come from outside the industry. Because... If you're inside of an industry or inside of a discipline, you kind of know maybe all the the negatives, right? Like your your vision might be clouded by some of the negatives. Sometimes it takes a fresh set of eyes. So you're talking to your now business partner, but at the time then investor, you meet him at a social event. He's got capital to invest in it, but you still don't really have a way to harness the energy, right? You have an ambition to harness the energy what who i guess who came up with or developed the idea like hey why don't we leverage the existing onshore structures so that we can then begin there i guess how did that idea come about who were the team members that started building that prototype
0: so basically again both of us were engineers both of us in completely separate locations in the world were researching the subject i was right. in israel he was in panama canada wherever he was traveling back then <laughs> So we did have the ideas. We couldn't make the blueprints and the sketches, but we knew what has to be done in order to create a pro- product that can commercialize. So I think that the idea of the actual product, we both developed it. Nice. How did we do it in, on a practical level? So um, I decided to go into, back to Ukraine, to the same city that I was born. And actually we did a competition between 300 engineers and chose a team of five mm. that we believe that could take our kind of concept and take it to practical like sketches and so on. And I chose to go to the Ukraine one because there's very high level of knowledge. There are very good engineering, very good mathematicians and so on. And on the other hand, the prices are much lower, let's say, than the prices in the US or in Israel. Sure. So that enabled us, you know, to, to test the, our initial ideas and to kind of bring it to the next level without risking too much capital. So this team of five people, they kind of helped us to take our idea to the practical level. And then we started the also wave pool testing in the Hydro Mechanic Institute in Kiev, in Ukraine.
1: So when did, I guess, how long before the idea, you recruited the engineers, how long did it take to make the first prototypes?
0: Very fast. I think our first, first prototype was made uh, like... I think in December 2011, the company was opened in March 2011 and the first prototype was December 2011. Wow. It was a very, very small prototype. It didn't have even the hydraulics. Our first goal was really to manufacture different floaters' shapes and test them in a wave pool to see how the shape of a floater influences the energy that will be generated based on the different types of waves that you can you know, create in the pool in terms of period and height of waves. And then our next um, or our first real conditions experience was actually in the Crimean Peninsula, which was back then a part of the Ukraine. It's in the Black Sea, which is considered very wavy. So there we did our first uh, real conditions testing in 2014. I think it was that we moved our uh, technology from the Ukraine. We moved it to Israel to Jaffa port and made our first real conditions experiments uh, in an off-grid technology in uh, Jaffa port. And in 2016, we opened our first grid-connected power station in Gibraltar. And Currently, our company is in construction of our second grid connected power station, which will be opened in the next uh, two months approximately here in Israel, in uh, collaboration with the Israeli Energy Ministry, which uh, recognizes our technology as pioneering technology, and also co-investment and collaboration from EDF Renewables IL, a subsidiary of Electricite de France, which is the French national electrical company.
1: So we got to hear some of these numbers because this is pretty crazy. You know, you mentioned you built the company in March of 2011. By December of 2011, you have your first working prototype. But it sounds like shortly thereafter, you have a actual energy producing one. Mm-hmm. I guess it started as a single floater. How much energy did a single floater create like in a month or something mm-hmm. like that?
0: So basically, first we started with like eight or ten different prototypes that we were testing in a wave pool, very very small one. Gotcha. So basically, the production was in watts. It was enough to turn on like a small TV device. You can see a video on YouTube. <laughs> we put the radio on, and everybody was super excited when the radio, like a radio with batteries, we took out the batteries and we connected it directly to the floaters in the pool. So everybody was super excited that you know the radio plays without having batteries. Magic. Then we made our first. Real conditions tasting in the Crimean Peninsula uh, with each floater being able to produce a maximum amount. There were two floaters, two different floater shapes, that we chose out of the bunch that we were testing. And each one could produce a maximum of five kilowatts uh, per floater. So a total of 10 kilowatt installed capacity of the power station.
1: Gotcha. I guess how much time does it take to produce those kilowatts?
0: So it depends. Basically, you're producing according to a power matrix. You're producing according to the wave height and the wave period. So if the wave height and the period are optimal, you can produce the full capacity. If the wave height and period are lower than optimum, let's say 50 centimeters, which is the minimum required, you will produce a certain percentage of your capacity. Gotcha. It's very similar to solar and wind. When the sun is stronger, you produce full capacity. And let's say if it gets cloudy, then you produce less. If it gets less windy, you produce less. So you're dependent on Mother Nature.
1: That makes sense. For this new big install that's going in in i can't pronounce it properly the two megawatt install that got announced i believe yesterday in yeah how many how many floaters will it take to do that
0: so between it depends on the size of the floaters that we will choose but usually for one megawatt we install between 40 and 80 floaters so basically there for two megawatt will probably be between 80 either 80 large scale one or 160 smaller scale one
1: gotcha and i guess Give us an idea. So you mentioned it before, and I'm familiar with coastal living. And for anyone who's listening to this podcast, what Ina described in the very beginning is how fast things deteriorate when they're in the middle of the ocean. But also if they're on the coastline and subjected to waves, like whether piers or man-made structures, we know that the ocean is relentless. It's never going to stop, right? So there is a level of deterioration. Yet your product has been in existence since 2016, producing power over six years. That's pretty substantial. How much maintenance does it take? Does it require a lot of maintenance or is it built in a way that, uh, because like, for example, like those self-saving features, it like has preservation of life. I guess how much like investment or capital upkeep does it keep, to keep the operation running?
0: So actually our technology is, as I said, is very smart, but very simple. So the only thing in the water are the floaters. So the only thing that The only thing or ingredient of the system that is really exposed to harsh or salty or corrosive environment are the floaters themselves. All the expensive equipment, the generators, the hydro motors, the inverters and so on are located on land, just like a regular power station. So these parts that are located on land, we can just use simple off-the-shelf parts. We have strategic collaboration with Siemens, so they're doing everything from the generator to the inverter to the grid connection also giving the proper guarantees because we have siemens everywhere in the world that's why we chose to work with them and for the hydraulic parts we use a lot of bosch and parker parts uh, which also again a lot of off-the-shelf parts which you can easily maintain so really maintenance is not such a big deal it's mostly like um, repainting the floaters sometimes like you would uh, do to a ship or a boat or any marine vessels is if there's a big storm making a visual kind of inspection and checking that all the anchors that are connecting uh, the structures to the seawall are in place or strengthening some of the anchors and so on. When we started uh, in our first year of kind of experiments, which was 2017 officially, our maintenance cost was quite high just because it was really new. It was our first grid connected uh, experience. Yeah. And we didn't know how to do everything ourselves. So we did everything through subcontractors who like to profit, of course, uh, on the works that they perform. <laughs> so uh, our OPEX, our operational cost, was about 18%, 1 8% of the capex, which is quite high. But already in 2021, which is the last year that we analyzed, we decreased our OPEX cost to be 3.2%, only 3%, basically, of the CAPEX. And that's already well in line with other renewable energy sources.
1: Oh, this sounds super exciting. I mean, you have multiple projects going in, you have multiple installs, because we know there's a huge movement towards green energy. A lot more businesses are investing. Our, you know The lead sponsor of this podcast is Salesforce. They talk about how they want to help the earth as well. Give us an idea, what has been the interest been like in the technology? Do you have, I'm guessing, more like, is there a lot of inbound people like constantly calling you nowadays? Like, hey, you know, how do I get one in my beach town or my coastline?
0: So there's a really, really high level of interest. I think it's influenced by the fact that a lot of the governments and the states have uh, committed to reach net zero emissions by the year 2030 or by the year 2050. Each country made its own kind of uh, promises uh, to its people. And I think that most countries nowadays, coastal countries, coastal cities, ports, they understand that they can't meet these very ambitious targets without having a variety of renewable energy sources. You can meet it only with sun because you have the night and cloud coverage and winter and the sun will go down and you can't produce energy. You can't meet it only with wind because wind is uh, mostly available early in the morning or late at night when actually the population usage is at its lowest. Yeah. So that's also not a practical solution to, you know, be completely dependent on wind or on sun.
1: Also with wind, from one of the, what I can tell seeing the videos of your product, wind energy takes tremendous amount of infrastructure. Like the amount of raw steel or metal it takes to make mm-hmm. one wind tower is substantial. Yeah, for anyone who's never seen how big a wind generating fan is. It is a huge huge man-made device. Your install is much smaller like it looks like a, I mean just I don't know actually by raw material but by my eyeballs it just looks smaller
0: listen it has much much less visual impact because wind turbines in order to create sufficient energy they need to be built very like for the height they're super tall they're super big they're very visible that's why they also put them away usually from population density centers because really it is a strong visual impact as it makes a little bit of noise or some will say more noise <laughs> uh, than other technologies, which creates, a, you know, which creates a problem. So that's why it's, put in, it's been put quite remote. In our technology, let's say our Gibraltar floaters are only one meter in height. The, the breakwater's height above the water level is three meters. So the floaters are completely hidden by the wall of the breakwater. So it's no visual impact at all. Plus all our moving parts, the generators and so on, are located on contain- in containers on land, just like a regular power station. So you don't have any noise coming from the floaters. They're just like a regular floaters in a marina or uh, in a port yeah. that are going up and down quietly with the motion of the waves, not really disturbing anything. So that's definitely a big advantage.
1: Oh, this, is, this is unbelievable when I, th- when I think about it. It's because some of the, um, you know, the way you describe the solution, you downplay it a little, I think. You call it simple, but it's like it's in, it's ingenious. It's leveraging all the existing things that have already been here, but, in you know, like a smarter way, combining them in a smarter way you mentioned the impact is smaller. The install is smaller. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think is going to happen over like the next five, 10 years? There's this movement now where people are talking about, Hey, if we can generate power and sell it back to the grid, it could be a business for me or a source of income. So like there's, for example, a lot of private peers, there's a lot of private peers where people build fishing peers or restaurant peers. Do you potentially see a place in the world where they're calling you? Like not even the city is like, Hey, I want this just because I want to sell energy back to the grid.
0: First of all, we're open to different types of uh, clients and interested parties. So even if it's an entity that privately owns a pier or a breakwater and there's a potential there, then we will definitely be glad to look at it. Basically, our, let's call it expected revenue stream or uh, the preferred business model is BOO when we actually build build, on and operate the power station. Mm. So we basically approach a port or a port or a coastal city approaches us And then we look at the breakwater, let's say they have three kilometers of breakwater. And according to our calculation, we can put a 20 megawatt installed capacity on that breakwater. So we basically, we install the power station, we fund the installation and the O&M, the operation and maintenance, and we sell the electricity for 25 years, which is the expected lifespan of the system. So that's our preferred business model, because we don't want to sell the actual equipment and become kind of you know, a turnkey solution giver. We want to actually own and operate the power station. We believe in our technology. So we think that's a much stronger business case.
1: All right, there you go. Hey, listen, this is pretty exciting stuff. For yourself, what do you think the next five, 10 years will hold? How, how many of these installs do you think you'll have? Or how many are you forecasting? Or how many do you hope to have?
0: So I'll give you kind of a, maybe the short term plan and the longer future plan. Yeah. So in the short term, basically, when we opened the company we were mostly focused really with development of the product and the, the most important thing for us in developing the product was to solve the five problems that i presented before because like, if you can't make it cost efficient re- reliable insurable environmentally friendly and easily connected to the grid you don't have a product exactly like all the other companies that try to do it and
1: <laughs> failed. yeah
0: so as soon as we opened our gibraltar power station in 2016 we proved that we have a product you know it was cost efficient It was reliable, we tested our storm protection mechanism, insurable, grid connected for six years, and 100% environmentally friendly because it didn't create any presence on the ocean floor, only connected to the man-made structure. Our next step This enabled us already, like by proving these five points, this enabled us to play in the same playground as wind and solar. Because before that, Wave Energy couldn't play in the same playground because wind and solar were already commercially viable. We're already not breaking down. In the beginning they were, but right now they're already more advanced. So right now we're playing in the same playground. I think the next expectation of us from ourselves and the investors of the companies from us, uh, since we're now also a publicly traded company, uh, is basically... um, To build a larger scale power station, a megawatt scale power station, and show that we can produce significant amounts of energy, even more than solar or or wind. Once we're able to do that, that's already kind of like, let's call it a seal of excellence, you know? It doesn't even matter if the first one megawatt will be profitable or not profitable. Once you show that you know how to forecast how much energy you will produce in your first commercial site, and that you actually produce significant energy amounts. Then you have a business case anywhere in the world where there is a sea or an ocean or waves that are about 50 centimeters. After we finish the first one megawatt, we will start our commercial rollout, which is basically building multiple yielding assets, funding them, hopefully getting access to that financing, which is the way that most developers nowadays, uh, nowadays develop uh, their power station. Yeah. And uh, in the longer, longer future, uh, what I would like to see, and I think that would really help the commercialization of the whole wave energy sector, is that. Instead of waiting until these breakwaters are built or using older structures all the time, when you, know, you need to get examination of the structure and you need to make the structure suitable to the connection of our floaters, it would really help if there would be a supportive legislation uh, that will say to the coastal cities and the coastal countries, you know what, if you want to build a breakwater, and a breakwater is a very bad thing for the environment, You have to build it because you want to protect the ports and you want to protect the coastal population, but it's not very environmentally friendly to have cement in the water or like stones in the water. It changes the movement of the sediments and it creates a different ecological presence uh, that uh, uh, is not so good for the marine life. So if they would say, okay, no problem, we understand that you need to build these breakwaters to protect your populations. However, you have to combine, already in the design phase, you have to combine wave energy and integrate it into the design. This will make our projects spread much easier, much faster. Again, no need for detailed feasibility study to check if the jet is strong enough to hold the floaters and the, you know, or enforcing it before you actually put in your floaters on, you will just be, basically you will be planned at the same time as the breakwater is being planned. You put a breakwater, you disturb the environment, at least you're giving some back with producing clean electricity from it.
1: Yeah. And, and for those that are listening and not familiar with breakwaters, it's, when you go to any marina and you see a wall, they're like, it looks like a wall of rocks, just like a wall of rocks. Sometimes it's cement, and like, um, but it's just designed like, as Ina just described, it's to stop the waves from moving so much so that people can park their boats and not worry about them being collided and damaged. But yes, Ina is exactly right. It's a huge engineering effort. It dumps tons of foreign material into the ocean to create it. And um, you know it's an, it, and it, like you said, it changes the coastline tremendously. I love what you're, where you're going. I mean, I think this is, this is exciting stuff because it's, I remember being a kid in the eighties, in the eighties, or maybe in the early nineties, people were already talking about like, if we could harness the power of the ocean, I think everyone always knew it was there, but no one really thought like, how could you do it? So this is just a super innovative way. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for your, your company's success. Cause I think it's going to help the world quite a bit.
0: I feel the same way, but I'm not objective. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually mad at myself because I didn't think of this. <laughs> but I'm glad people like you are attacking the problem. You know, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Thanks for joining us on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You know, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work. So that our audience can get to know you a little better are you ready
0: i'll do my best
1: okay all right when you're not looking at oceans and thinking of ways of harnessing energy from the ocean what do you like to do for fun
0: uh reading traveling meeting new and exciting technologies i'm not sure it's completely outside world, <laughs> but i really like to talk about innovative uh, innovation innovative uh, impactful uh, ideas for the future
1: What kind of things do you like to read or authors? Because, I mean, like you mentioned, you got a degree in poli-sci, but you were clearly very interested in ocean technology, uh, ocean energy technology, energy technology. What kind of stuff do you read outside of those subjects?
0: So different, I read a lot of books about female empowerment, about like journeys that uh, different female leaders had, you know, trying to work in a male-dominated industry many times. If I just read for fun, then just, you know, some novels, some like romantic books, because you need to get your head out of uh, work sometimes and focus on something else to get more clarity.
1: Do you have any hobbies that involve the ocean?
0: I like swimming. So I guess that, that involves the, the ocean a bit. Uh, also in the pool, also in the ocean. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I like swimming. Not, not really into marine sports. like I don't surf or something like that. Oh,
1: uh, So you leave the surfing to the business partner.
0: <laughs> exactly
1: what other green technologies are you really excited about because you of course are focusing on the ocean or is there like anything that you've read about recently that you're really excited about like is it in manufacturing is it in another sector that you're just really excited about and you think it's going to have a big impact for all of humanity
0: so there's a company that is actually called the eco concrete it's an israeli company that they developed a like a concrete type that is more friendly to the environment so when you build a breakwater or cover a breakwater with their kind of type of cement or type of blocks that they're producing it actually instead of like kind of preventing the marine life around it it has like different holes and locations for the marine life to still be able to oh, thrive cool. in the location where the breakwater is put so yeah, i think that's a very cool technology
1: that's awesome well, you know, I enjoyed having you as a guest today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing some of the work you're doing at EcoWave Power. It's super exciting. For anyone who hasn't checked it out, we'll link it in our show notes below, but check out some of their YouTube videos if you want to see this technology at work. I call it paddle boats. She called it floaters, but it does look like paddle boats like lined up along the wall, and they're there's constantly pumping up and down, generating clean, pure electricity. And as Ina said, The ocean never stops moving. They never stop working. This is not like wind. This is not like solar. The ocean doesn't sleep. It's always going to be moving.
0: Perfect. I couldn't say it better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries.
0: Thank you for having me.